And we'll take a moment to dismiss Lee and all the other kids that want to go with him. And you may turn to Mark chapter 14, which we'll begin in the first verse today. We're moving our way slowly but surely to the cross in Mark's gospel. This passage today about the anointing in Bethany is so significant to our lives and to what was going on at the time. And what was going on in that day is, uh, is not terribly uh, indifferent, indifferent to the way that things are today. I want us to read it. I'm, I'm going to try to approach this in a different way today because I want to get to the woman in this story last. And she falls right in the middle. But I think it's important that we look at her life and the way that she approached Jesus as the last thing that we talk about together today. I also want you to be aware as you read the Gospels how often it is that women get him before the men do. I've wondered about that. I've always heard that women are smarter. And I keep looking for proof that that's not true. But when I look in Scripture, I'm constantly reminded that women had their eyes open to the reality of Jesus before the men that were around them. This doesn't have anything to do with the sexes today or the genders. I think it has everything to do with how we tend to view ourselves in, in, in the presence of Jesus. And, and there's something to be learned in that too today. And we're going to touch on that very, uh, very briefly. But I, wanted, I, I want you to just, as you read the Gospels, just pay attention to that. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, verse, verse 1 says this. And we'll read all the way through down through 11 it says it was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread the chief priest and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him Mark's very blunt about the idea there was only per- there was one purpose singular purpose in their mind but they said not during the festival so there won't be a riot among the people While he was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why was this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they begin to scold her. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You will always have the poor with you. And you can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. 
She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to portray Jesus to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to portray him. And we'll stop there. This passage I just read, there's kind of bookends at either end of this thing. You've got, you have at the beginning, you have um, the chief priest and the scribes in Jerusalem. So these are the, these are the uppity-ups of all the uppity-ups, uh, religious-wise, in this community. The chief priests and the scribes were pretty much calling the shots. Okay? And, and this is what's remarkable about this. Their, their singular purpose, this is the most festive time of the year, by the way. This is everything wrapped up in one. It's Passover. That was the 14th day of the month where they, where they would sacrifice the Passover lamb. That's coming up. That's tomorrow in the story. And then right after that was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And this was very important because this commemorated for the people that they, they were getting rid of everything that was corrupt and unclean in their life. We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Paul was referring to that in 1 Corinthians. So there's the Passover lamb, the lamb that brings salvation. Death passes you by because you... You, you have this Passover lamb that gives its life on your behalf. Its blood is spread on your doorpost so that when the angel of death comes by, it's not seeking your blood. And you live. And so God does this wonderful thing when He lays out these festivals. He says, so the very next day, you do this very symbolic thing that says, I'm eliminating all the corruption out of my house and out of my life. And for seven days, they ate unleavened bread. And there was no leaven in the house. And it was to remind them of just what the Passover lamb had done, not only to save their life, but to change their life. This is what's going on. There's three million people in Jerusalem, by the way, to do this. This particular Feast of the Unleavened Bread required a sacrifice every day, and the Passover required a sacrifice. So there's a lot of sacrifice, animal sacrifice going on. Three million people. Lots of folks. And get this. So these guys want to kill Jesus in the midst of all of this. The idea for the week is to get corruption out of your heart. And the only thing that's in their heart is corruption. But they say, we don't want to do this now. We may start a riot if we kill Jesus. Of course, we know what happens later, right? There is a riot. Only... Only it is to crucify Jesus, not to save Jesus. Which just goes further to illustrate a point here that I want to briefly touch on, and that is this. No matter how much these people thought they were in control of what was going on, they had no control. They, they didn't want to riot, but they got a riot. And it was to, it was to kill Jesus. They, they, well, later we'll see. They try to trump up charges and get all these witnesses. Nothing works. Jesus finally has to really condemn himself with his own words. So they'll finally do something. Jesus is in control of this whole scene here too. At the other end, we have Judas. Judas hears this thing. He watches this woman do what she does. And Jesus actually scolds them for scolding her. And he says, I've had enough. This guy 
is not anything that I expected him to be. This ultimately is all about him and not about me. John reminds us that he's just a greedy, he's just greedy, he he just wants money. And so we have this corruption at one end that says we're going to kill him no matter what the cost. And we have this corruption at the other end that says I'll help you kill him but I do have a cost. And in between we find this woman. We don't even know her name. It says that Jesus went to Bethany to the home of Simon the leper. Bethany was probably one of those cities that had been designated that if you ever had a skin disease, you go to this city. This was done way back in Deuteronomy. And so, here's Simon. Either he was a leper, probably was a leper. All these other people would not have walked into the house of a leper. Jesus might have, but not the rest of them. But here he is, and Jesus goes in there, and he's dining because he's reclining. It's the only time you ever did that sort of thing was when you laid down to eat. They, they would lay down on a pillow on their right arm usually, and they ate with their left, and their feet were kind of pointed to the door, sometimes sideways. And here comes this woman. And she's got this jar of perfume worth $50,000. I want you to get that in your head for a minute. Okay? Because what, what could you do with $50,000? I need a new truck. No, I'm just saying, $50,000 would solve the truck problem. I need, I need to be able to go on a trip. I'm tired. Lee said, I was tired. I am tired. Let's go on a trip. I want you to begin to think that here she is with this very expensive perfume in her hand. Now, it, it, it wasn't a normal, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't abnormal, I should say, for when someone came in and they had been traveling at all, that you would take a little perfume, two or three drops is what was normally required, and you would pour it on their head, two or three drops, and then it was appropriate to, to just... And this feels good just talking about it. They would massage that into your head. Man, I love a good scalp massage. Nobody here? I mean, what a great practice, you know, a great way to show hospitality. But they would do that, and it was a way of saying, refresh yourself, you're welcome in our home, and that sort of thing. And it was just something that was commonly done to everybody. Two or three drops. And you would seal up the jar again in some sort of way. But when someone was going to die, or someone had died, and it was time to anoint the body, because this is what would happen. Someone died, and they would clean the body, and then they had to find a place to put that body. And when bodies decay, they smell. Most of you know that. So what would be done is that they would get this very pugnant, perfume and put on the body so that when it began to decay you didn't so much smell the decayed body you would smell the perfume and so that was what they did at the time of burial well here's this lady she's got a perfume that would have done that probably 15 times over 
And she's not intending to save any of this anymore. She breaks that, the neck off of that jar. And she pours the whole thing on Jesus' head. Now you get this picture and imagine the smell of it. Everybody knows what vanilla smells like. Imagine this room being full, filled with vanilla, just overcoming you with that smell. You just can't escape the smell. She pours this on his head, and it's just running all down him, covering him. And the guys in the room, because it probably was a lot of guys, they're looking at this, and they're saying, What is wrong with you, woman? That money could have been used for the poor. Now, the first thing we have to think is, if any of them would have had $50,000 worth of nard, would they have gone and sold it and given that $50,000 to the poor? So there's kind of a hypocrisy built into this already, right? They just want to scold her because she actually did have the nard, and she's not thinking like they're thinking. See, sometimes, sometimes we can get so wrapped up in our religious practices... And giving to the poor was a part of this festival period, see? This was a time where you found a few pennies in the bottom of your pocket. And if you saw somebody poor, you would give it to them because that was the right thing to do during the festival of the unleavened bread. But sometimes we can get caught up in the things that we think we're supposed to be doing for Jesus and miss Him. Miss Him completely. Because what Jesus wants from you more than He wants your work and your activity is He wants everything you have. Now this woman, for whatever reason, recognized Jesus as something of a king in her life. She recognized Him as someone who deserved what she was doing. She, she didn't know He was about to die. But something in her life said to me, man, if I get the chance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show Jesus just how much I love him, just how much I think of him, just what he has meant to me. Obviously, he had changed her life in some way because we just don't do these kind of things just because. It always has something to do with what's happened in us. One of the things that I like to say and I think is so true of all of us is that deep down inside of each and every one of us, we want to be certain that someone knows us for who we are and that they love us for who we are. And I think Jesus had this remarkable way of looking into the life of a person and saying, I know exactly who you are. And I know exactly how I love you. And they could experience that. And it changes your life. Some people get busy in their life and they want to make sure that Jesus doesn't know them because they're fearful of who they are before Him. They want His love, but they're not quite sure how to get there if they don't just surrender themselves to Him. So they'll spend a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to say, oh, if He just doesn't know that about me, then maybe we can somehow or another be friends or something. But Jesus says, man, I want to know. I want you to know how much I know you because I'm, I'm giving my life for you. See, we have to ask our question, the question of our life, really, as, especially as believers, is am I just pouring out a drop or two at a time 
for Jesus as some kind of religious obligation or, or, or something that I have. I'm just going to give Him a little bit here and there. And we're not being extravagant enough to just say, Lord, just take it all. I want it to all be poured out as an honor to you. My whole life. I just want the whole thing to be poured out as an honor to you. And I think most times, we tend to just want to dribble it out. Here and there a little bit. And then pat ourselves on the back because we've done what we need to do or should do. But so much more is possible. So much more is possible. So this woman pours this out. This $50,000 jar of perfume. And Jesus says. Of course they all get indignant. And he says leave her alone. In pretty strong words. Leave her alone. And he finally gets down to the point where he says. What she could do. She did. And so, what she could do was give him everything. What she could do is, I've got this jar, I'm going, I'm going to anoint it. I'm going to use all of it to anoint him. What she could do, she did. And the question for us is, are we doing what we can do? And I don't mean in the way of service and all of those things. I'm talking about are you, are you doing all you can each and every day to show your undying devoted love to Jesus in such a way that he looks at that and says I know that you're anointing me as your king, king in your life and you also on this side of the cross understand what that cost me. That's what Jesus is saying to her. There's no time left there's no time left for me. If you're going to honor me, you better do it soon because I'm, I'm going to the slaughter in just a couple of days. He said, she don't know it, but she's anointed my body ahead of time for my burial because that's about all the time I have left here. But Jesus, see how he does this? He leaves no question. What she sees as kingship, he understands that, yeah, if I'm going to be king in your life, then you need to understand that your king is giving his life for you. And when we understand that, people, it should be easy to break the neck off of the jar. You see what I'm saying? When we understand that the way that the king shows his love for us is that he dies for us, then the least that we may do is break the neck off of the jar and give Him everything about our life. And I mean everything. To the point that people don't understand it. And at best, they may talk behind your back about it or talk to your face about it. But you understand it. You understand your place with Him. Because now you know that He knows you. He knows you and you've held nothing back because you've given everything. Now you know. And now you know that He loves you. And that He's always going to love you. Because there's one thing about death that we know it can't be undone. 
or can it? Death shows and tells us of his great love for us, but his his resurrection also tells us that there is a great life for us. There is love at one end of this, and there is life at the other. And if you want a life, if you want a life with him, then it begins really by breaking the neck off of the jar and giving him everything. That's all I got to say about that today. I think sometimes we run by that. Just because I'm short today doesn't mean I'm going to let you off the hook. Some of you have never broken your jar and poured out your life before Jesus. Some of you say you have. But you've been dribbling little bits and pieces of that jar out when it was appropriate to say, Oh, yeah, see, I love Jesus. I'm giving him this little drop here and this little drop there. That's what some of you are doing. And you think that you're getting away with it, see? I don't know what it's like. This is a question that I don't want to try to answer. But I don't know what it's like to leave this world and have a jar full of perfume left. I don't want to know what that's like. I don't want to know what it's like for, for God to have filled my life with His life. And then at the end of it, I still got it all left. And I don't, I don't, I, I just did nothing with it. Just dribbled a few drops here and there. And then go to Him and expect Him to be all happy about that. Because for some reason, I kept holding on to my life for myself. Thinking that maybe I could do something better with it. Instead of just giving it all to Him. See, that's what a lot of people do. They're just going to hang on to it as much as they can and just dribble a little bit out here every now and then. Especially if we can get somebody to notice that we're sprinkling a little bit of love on Jesus every now and then. If, if somebody notices, we're even that much better off. We might even get away with using less. So you've got to decide if you're going to break the neck off of the jar and just let him have it all. Or if you're just going to dribble it out. The other thing is, you've got to decide is, is it okay to give him everything? Is it okay to forget for a while that we have an obligation to do things in our faith? Is it okay to say, I'm not going to let my whole life with God be consumed with things that I've got to do? And we can just take a moment to stand there and just pour out our devotion and love to Him without any other requirement whatsoever. We just do it because we absolutely love Him and we want Him to know that we love Him. Can we just do that so we don't have to measure it by the things that we accomplish with our hands and with our feet? Can we just get into our closet and say to Him, Lord, I love You so much. I want You to know my love for You. I want You to know my devotion to You. I want to experience your life back to me because I've been so transparent and open with who I am with you. Those are the questions for us. 
But if we're just kind of going to drift and just, oh, I forgot, I better go put a little. And we're just going to kind of bump around in our life with Jesus and, and hope that, you know, one day here I finally figure it out when all I have to do is to just give him everything. These guys in the room, they were bumbling followers is what they were. They just had no clue as to what this could all be about. But the woman did. And for very good reason. Because her life had been changed. Her life had been changed by Jesus. And she knew it. She knew it. I'm right here. So has your life been changed? And if it has, are you ready to pour it all out? As a love offering to Him. Let's pray.